we have been traumatized and harmed and hurt. And this is in the uh, realm of hurt people hurt people. So when we haven't done our own healing work, when we haven't worked with our own trauma, when we haven't had the resources, you know, to actually begin moving past our wounds, we tend to just pass it on. Welcome to Conversations from the Heart, weekly Q&A sessions exploring how to step out of power struggles and conflict by having connected, collaborative, and compassion-based conversations with ourselves and others. I'm Dr. Yvette Erasmus, psychologist, educator, and consultant with more than 30 years of real-life experience helping humans on their self-development journeys. Here, we focus on how to use compassion-based, nonviolent communication and relationship skills to help each of us live into our most empathic, empowered, connected selves. Everything changes when you do. Let's dive in. Welcome to Conversations from the Heart. We're doing something a little different this week. Um, I am traveling and I will not be running my free Wednesday morning Q&A call. And so instead of giving you a replay, which is what we usually do, this episode is going to be just a little bit of clarity, I'm hoping, on the difference between the protective use of force and the punitive use of force. I know that my own heart has been very heavy over the last few years, you know, we had the pandemic and then we had the war breaking out in Ukraine. And now we have war in the Middle East. We also have war going on in Yemen and all over Africa in various countries. And as I sit with the escalation of violence, at least in my own consciousness, I'm sure it's been going on and maybe I just haven't always been tuned into it. I've been asking a lot more questions about, is violence ever necessary? Is that really the best solution to things? And so today, I'm going to give you a little slice, some thoughts based in the teachings of Dr. Marshall Rosenberg, who is the founder of Nonviolent Communication, and riffing a little bit off of his ideas of the kind of clarity that we need as we think about the difference between the protective use and the punitive use of force. So I hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back next week with regular programming. Today, we're going to talk about the difference between the punitive use of force and the protective use of force, which is an absolutely essential distinction for us to begin working with and internalizing. So in my experience, when people in conflict, people who are arguing about something, you're in a relationship with someone and you have very different worldviews, you have a very different way of approaching something, you're very attached to different strategies. When those two people get an opportunity to be deeply seen, to be deeply heard, to be received by the other person, to feel like um, their perspective has been taken in and received and that their needs matter to the other person, when they get that experience of their needs being valued and important and mattering to the other, invariably creative solutions arise into that space. And people can find a way forward that work better for both of them than before. And worst case scenario, even when that isn't possible and people get to a place where they need to agree to disagree, they do it with a lot of goodwill towards one another. And I'll take it. Okay. When this kind of conversation is impossible, so that's like my first line of defense in conflict is you establish relational conditions in which people's needs are going to get met. Their needs to be seen, heard. Their needs to matter. 
That is how we resolve a conflict. Now, sometimes that is impossible for a variety of reasons. People are too activated. People are flooded by trauma. People have too much fear running through their systems. There's imminent danger and there's no time to have a conversation. Okay, so there are going to be times when these kinds of conversations, we don't have the time or the bandwidth or the capacity or the skillfulness to do it. And so in the intervening short time, there are times when the use of force is absolutely necessary to protect life by defending themselves. Like, you know, like I I can't have a conversation with you. You're coming at me and you're about to hit me. I'm not going to have an empathic conversation necessarily in that moment. I'm going to defend myself and I might defend myself using force. And we may use force when we are trying to protect individual human rights. So, you know, to prevent death, to protect life, and to um, really stand for individual human rights and to ensure the safety of all people, there are times where we will use force instead of conversation or diplomacy or a longer-term solution. But in those cases where we do need to use the protective use of force, it is really, really important not to confuse the protective use of force, which is healing and restorative and protective, with the punitive use of force, which is used to increase people's fear and shame and to justify inflicting harm and suffering on one another. And ultimately, the punitive use of force really gets us stuck in cycles of violence that only become increasingly entrenched and escalate and escalate until we are into massive harm and eventually genocide. I really want to explain to you the difference between these ways of being so that you can understand the anatomy of them and can see what you might want to do about it. So the intention behind the protective use of force is to prevent injury, to prevent injustice to individuals or communities. And the primary focus of the protective use of force is to ensure safety and security. So for example, If you have a kiddo and they're about to run into the road to go after a bull and you see a car coming, you're going to grab that child and you're going to use force to protect them from being run over by a car. You do not follow it up with condemnation and blaming. The punitive use of force, on the other hand, you would grab that child to protect them. So the the initial instinct is actually a really life-affirming one, but the punitive use of force then involves turning on that child giving them a smack, berating them harshly to teach them a lesson, saying, how could you be so stupid? You should be ashamed of yourself. That, my friends, is the punitive use of force. And that's where it becomes toxic. Okay, that is the moment that it becomes toxic and not life-affirming. So the intention behind the punitive use of force is to increase people's suffering for their perceived misdeeds with the idea that the best way to help people learn is to cause more suffering and pain in order to teach them a lesson. That is the consciousness that drives the punitive use of force. Punitive force is used as revenge, as retribution. It focuses on assigning blame for something and then extracting a penalty for this perceived badness on behalf of the other party. On the other hand, the protective use of force is really focused and committed to minimizing harm to all parties and seeking nonviolent alternatives whenever possible. The protective use of force is proactive. It is preventative. It focuses on empathy for all people. 
It focuses on understanding the underlying needs that all people are having. And the aim in the protective use of force is to maintain or restore deep harmony and deep safety for all people. Now, the quickest way to reduce violence on this planet is by meeting people's needs. The more that we are able to meet more people's needs, the less desperate people are going to feel like they need to resort to the punitive use of violence, which is actually a self-sabotaging strategy because it increases the experience of vulnerability and the threat of, of harm for all of us, okay? The punitive use of force is reactive. It is responsive. It often, and by responsive, I mean it responds to some perceived transgression, okay? It is in response to a perceived act of wrongness on, uh, on the other person's behalf. It lacks a deeper understanding of the underlying causes of conflict, which is usually people trying to get their needs met in desperate ways because they feel like the other ways that they've tried to get people to care about them haven't worked. And so they've lost faith in other people's goodwill. So now they're going to settle for trying to force people into goodwill which never works. Because the emphasis is on punishment instead of resolution, on punishment instead of healing, on punishment and increasing suffering, instead of helping people drop their defenses and work together, because of that, it simply results in power struggles and stuck perpetuating cycles of violence that get worse and worse. And punitive force is everything from dropping bombs on populations to hitting your children in the name of learning to using scornful and harsh and contemptuous language with people that you disagree with. All of these are forms of punitive force. The other, other examples of the punitive use of force is when um, anybody is withholding access to resources that people need to survive and thrive. So when parents withhold dinner from their children, when parents withhold love and affection until the child behaves in a way that they prefer, when countries deny one another access to food, water, shelter, goodwill, any of that, when the intention of withholding is to increase the suffering of the other party and therefore force compliance and obedience in the face of injustice, withdrawing safety care, withdrawing goodwill, withdrawing respect from other human beings is actually one of the most powerful forms of the punitive use of force. Okay. Now, this form of justice, this justification of using force in this way has a very heavy cost to everyone involved, to everyone. And it's that when our reasons for submitting to something are purely out of fear of what's going to happen to us if we don't comply or submit, what happens is that our attention is no longer on the inherent value of what is being asked for in the first place. Marshall Rosenberg actually gives a really beautiful illustration of this. I'm going to read you a quote by him. If a worker's performance is prompted by fear of punishment, the job gets done, but the morale suffers, and sooner or later, productivity will decrease. If children brush their teeth because they fear shame and ridicule, their oral health may improve, but their self-respect will develop cavities. Okay. So punishment erodes goodwill. It keeps us out of touch with the good reasons why we want, may want to do something or pay attention to something in the first place. And the more that we, if we're in the position of power, the more that we are seen as agents of punishment or agents of fear and shame, 
the harder we make it for other people to respond compassionately to what we are needing. And the more that others can't respond to us with compassion and goodwill, the more fearful we become, the less safety and security we are feeling, and the more likely we are to think that the only thing we have available to ourselves is the punitive use of force. And here we are stuck in a self-perpetuating cycle. So if we want to move forward together in peaceful and sustainable ways, we have to be able to start thinking about what it's going to take for us to learn and grow and heal together with an eye to meeting as many people's needs as possible instead of assigning blame and shaming people and then justifying doing harm to one another in in the name of righteousness. So what gets in the way of our actually embracing approaches that can bring about deep change and learning and growth and sustainable solutions? Why is this so hard for people? Well, there's a few reasons, and these come from Marshall Rosenberg. He suggests that One, there's a lack of awareness that we generally have about the impacts and consequences of our actions. We, you know, we tend to think that our actions are fine and other people are just having an unreasonable reaction to us. And we're not seeing the infinity loop and the the, um, kickback that we are creating when we show up in violent ways. We are inviting violence back. And until we make that connection and change what it is that we're bringing, that will likely continue. Second, we have an inability to see ways that we might need meet our needs for safety or for care or for survival or for uh, whatever it is that we're needing. We, we lack imagination. We don't know how to do it without injuring other people. We have so normalized the objectification of other people to meet our needs and the exploitation of other people so that we can be okay, that we need to start getting much more creative of ways that we can all meet our needs without harming each other. Many of us seem to have an investment in this belief that we have the right to punish, that we have the right to hurt other people because they deserve it, because they are bad people. And this is an incredibly outdated way of thinking that the best way to get people to be good by whatever you mean by this word good, but the best way that we can get good people is to frighten them into it. It just doesn't work. We have been traumatized and harmed and hurt, and this is in the uh, realm of hurt people hurt people. So when we haven't done our own healing work, when we haven't worked with our own trauma, when we haven't had the resources you know, to actually begin moving past our wounds, we tend to just pass it on, thinking that, well, it's good enough for me, so it's good enough for them. It worked for me, so it's going to work for them. But that kind of thinking usually comes from a certain kind of desensitization that we needed to install early on in order to protect ourselves from the pain of what had happened to us. And until we go back and begin reclaiming that and metabolizing it and processing it, we're going to keep um, rinsing and repeating it. And then finally, there are these cases where people have delusional um, experiences of um, voices telling them to go out and kill people. So that would be another reason. So the punitive use of force is based on the assumption that people do harmful things because they're bad or evil. And so the best way to make the world a better place is to get those bad and evil people to repent the error of their ways. And the best way to get them to repent the error of their ways is to make them suffer a lot and more and more and more until we can break through their defenses and beat the badness out of them. And if that doesn't work, we just kill them if that's what it's going to take. So that's where this system of justice generally ends. And unfortunately, 
Punitive measures like these simply generate more resentment, more hostility, more mistrust, more fear. They increase cycles of violence and trauma on our planet. And ironically and self-sabotagingly, they simply create more resistance to the kind of change and insight and care and growth and healing that we should be collectively seeking that would be a far more effective way at creating a world that works for all people. So this social norm that we are currently stuck in of justifying violence as an effective way to resolve differences keeps us stuck in power struggles, swinging between toxic shame, toxic entitlement, toxic grandiosity, and trapped in ever-escalating patterns of rebellion and submission. So let's just go back for a moment to the protective use of force. We will engage in it in order to keep everyone safe. We are no longer saying that one group of people get to be safe at the expense of another group of people. We recognize that none of us will be safe until all of us are safe. So we start thinking creatively about what it's going to take, what needs to transform, what needs to evolve, what needs to be updated. And we create structures and environments and conditions within which people can begin developing safety and trust and goodwill and respect for the humanity in one another. The other thing is we need to stop thinking in terms of ethnic and tribal identities and and framing up conflicts as um, this family against that family or this country against that country or this religious group against that religious group. This is a way of dehumanizing everybody within those groups. We can be speaking in terms of individual world leaders that are making sociopathic decisions. We can think a little bit about this employer or this business owner or this celebrity or this uncle who is continuing to perpetuate harm and is no longer a safe person for the community. And we need to do something about those individuals. But taking these individuals and then generalizing that to the entire community and treating all of those people as an extension of that individual is very, very dangerous. And I want to end with this idea that, listen, none of us are safe until all of us are safe. And we need to stop dropping enemy images. We need to start rehumanizing people. We need to start rehumanizing people. So the protective use of force would be zeroing in on the individuals within a population that are abusing power and using power to harm the collective. And that is where we use the protective use of force. We don't just blanket take an entire country or blanket take an entire group of people and then begin aggressing against them. That is a form of incredible injustice. It doesn't work. So. Protective use of force, you intervene to the degree that you need to, to protect life, like you grab that kid and you don't let it run into the street. And then you move immediately into restorative learning and growth practices at people's developmental level. You establish safety for all people. You cultivate conditions within which people can begin rehumanizing one another and dropping their enemy images of one another and getting to know one another. And we meet people's needs to be seen, to be known, to have their stories known, to have care and compassion for the pain and the fear um, and the trauma 
that they have experienced. And we begin the very long-term deep healing work to restore goodwill, to restore trust, to heal the trauma, and to interrupt the, the cycles of violence that got us here to begin with. So there's got to be a commitment to releasing our addiction to the punitive use of force. And we need to begin really uprooting the seeds of this kind of violence and this kind of justification of harming other people in our own lives. And it begins by choosing a kind word over a harsh word, by choosing to re-regulate your nervous system over reactively engaging in unbridled self-expression and venting all over people. It begins in taking responsibility for your own flooded nervous system, for your own enjoyment of making somebody else do something that they don't want to do, and really committing to finding a new way forward. Just a friendly reminder, if this episode resonated with you, please share with your family, friends, and co-workers. And if these conversations leave you wanting more, please consider joining my monthly membership program where you can join me live to keep growing with a community of open-hearted, like-minded people just like you. There are more free resources, including a quiz to help you assess your preferred listening style at yvetterasmus.com and a lot of free videos on my YouTube channel. Remember, personal growth is a journey and not a destination. So please keep loving up all your awkward, messy and imperfect parts as you go. See you next time.